Welcome to Ag Matters, a podcast where we talk about both matters of agriculture and why agriculture matters. Here's your host, Dr. Amanda Stone, Mississippi State University Assistant Professor and Extension Dairy Specialist. Okay, today on the phone, we have Dr. Lauren Nolan. Um, She is going to inform us about all the different um, types of agriculture, I guess within agriculture, if you will, um, between organic, cage-free, conventional, GMOs. We're going to talk about all of that. Um, And she will introduce herself a little bit more now. Okay. My name is Dr. Lauren Nolan. I just recently graduated from the University of Kentucky with my degree in poultry nutrition. I am a poultry technical consultant for um, Ridley Feed Ingredients and currently living in Lexington, Kentucky. Perfect. So I'm glad to have you on. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Well, so I think there's a lot of... um, confusion. I think even myself, when I go to the grocery store, and I obviously am involved in agriculture, but when I look at all the different labeling techniques and label marketing campaigns, um, it's it can be overwhelming. So I can imagine it from somebody who doesn't know at least a little bit about agriculture, and, and they feel like overwhelmed with what is the best choice, and everybody wants to eat the best food that they can, feed their kids the best, right? And so I was hoping I can just go through a few examples with you and you can explain the differences to people so that they can actually make an educated choice. Would that be okay? Yeah, for sure. And I'd like to start by saying that I think it's great that we do have so many options for people um, as far as organic or non-GMO, cage-free, all that stuff. Um, So I think it's great that we have options and people can choose. I just we just kind of want to bring to light the different options and what they mean, um, so maybe people are a little more educated on what they're getting. Uh-huh. And I've talked about this in some other episodes of the podcast that we in the U.S. are so lucky that we have the most abundant, the safest, you know, the the best food supply that we're exactly. we get those choices where a lot of other places don't. Right. Okay, so can you tell me from an egg perspective or chicken perspective, mm-hmm. um, cage-free mm-hmm. versus free-range? Sure, so cage-free is kind of a big movement that's coming about in the egg industry. And so cage-free is essentially referring to how the hens are housed. So um, in the past, the, the most common method has been conventional cages and just kind of some stats on conventional cages. Most birds are given 67 to 86 square inches of usable square space per bird. Um, so that gives them enough space for all birds to get the trough to feed at one time, and it allows them to be standing um, comfortably within their cage. So it's not that they are cramped in cages or can't get their, to their feed or to their water. Um, it's actually a very nice space for those birds, whereas a free ring or a um, cage-free system is going to be basically a building where they have unlimited access as they do in conventional cages to feed in water but they this in this system they have the ability to kind of jump from level to level they have the ability to um, move around the entire barn um free range they have the um option to use the outside um as well as come in the barn so in inclement weather if it's raining or it's cold they can be in the barn if it's nice they can be outside on grass um, while having access to feed and water as well and so i can see pros and cons of each of those right and so from a 
free-range perspective. Um, obviously, they're getting to be outside, and that's uh, probably a pro. But do they have issues, like with other animals and predators getting the chickens? Right. So that's kind of one of the biggest issues with free-range is that they are open to predators, um, hawks, foxes, coyotes, that kind of stuff. So um, there have been some studies done that show that when they are out in that environment, when they're outside and they know that they are open to predators, um, their cortisol levels are a little higher. They don't seem to um, move as freely or they're kind of just always aware of their surroundings. Where in the cage-free or the cage system, they um, their cortisol levels are lower. So that's their stress hormone. It's um, lower and they aren't, they're able to stand. They, um, they just seem like they're a lot more relaxed. So there are some... Um, pros and cons to each and then we get some if we that's just on the bird standpoint so if we look at the eggs um, on a conventional cage system it's at a a slant the cage is at a slant um, no more than eight degrees incline Um, that allows the egg to roll to the end of the cage and so one of the pros of that is that they are not sitting on the egg they're not walking on the egg defecating on the egg um, in a free range or a cage free system, although they are trained to lay eggs in nest boxes where they're kept clean, um, a lot of the birds will not do that. So um, we do run the risk of them being walked on, pecked at, defecated on, um, rolled around in other feces. So there are some um, some negative aspects to every system, uh-huh. um, but those are kind of the big ones. And it's the same in other ag industries, too, and probably outside of ag, too, I assume. But with the the dairy industry where I specialize in, we have a Mm -hmm. lot of, um, I guess, desire from consumers and from the people who are marketing to consumers to have um, animals on pasture, which is Mm -hmm. great. And we, in Mississippi, at least have a lot of pasture-only herds where they don't house them in facilities and they are successful in doing so and it you know they're not marketing it as such but if they were to they could probably make more money off of their product if they did Um, but we we have also seen some studies that you know scientists and researchers have have done these peer-reviewed studies that show that cattle dairy cattle in particular don't always want to be outside and so if they had to pick between a barn and and a pasture even if that pasture is great and perfect they sometimes actually do want to be in housing and then sometimes they Mm -hmm. want to be outside and so given choices they may not make the one that humans I guess expect them to always or want them to as everybody imagines you know cows frolicking on pasture which if you've ever seen a dairy cow they don't frolic very gracefully (laughs) right (laughs) but it's not always you know their desire to be that way so I think that's interesting yeah so that's the same with birds um on a hot day or a cold day or a rainy day or just because they want to and the door is open they they most likely will be inside. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think part of that is because our producers and, and our scientists have done such a great job in making inside facilities so perfect Absolutely. for our animals. Like we have come such a long way in making them what the animals need, not necessarily what the humans need, um, but it's it's made for the animals. So they want right. to be in there sometimes. Absolutely. All right. So can you talk to me about organic versus conventional? Yeah. So 
um, to get ready for this podcast, I actually did some um, research on the USDA. Oh, look um, at you. To look at different things <laughs> for organic and whatnot. So some of those stats for organic include the animal is raised for animal health and welfare standards. And um, I know for eggs and I'm sure for or poultry and I'm sure for other ag commodities or livestock production, there are um, most if not all animals are raised per animal health and welfare um, standards. So regardless of how they're raised, if they're raised in a cage or whatnot, um, those meet certain standards that meet the best welfare and health of that animal. Um, raised on certified organic land, so that means that that land has to go through a certification process by the USDA to be deemed organic. They're allowed um, year-round access to outdoors except under specific conditions such as inclement weather. They are managed organically from the third, gen third gestation, so that's for your mammals, or second day of life for your birds. Um, they're fed 100% organic feed, except for trace minerals and vitamins to meet their requirements. Um, all animals are fed to meet their nutritional requirements. Um, managed without antibiotics, added growth hormones, or byproducts, or other prohibited products. So um, this kind of jumps ahead to what we were going to talk about as far as antibiotics. But mm -hmm. I know in poultry, we haven't used antibiotics for growth hormones ever. So when you see a bird um, and if you see package, meat packaged in the store or if you see eggs packaged in the store and it says no antibiotics for added growth hormones, that's all um, poultry and egg production. So it's nothing special. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what we get into with the marketing and how they're able to kind of add labels to things to make you think, seem like it's better um, than the other carton of eggs in the um, cooler. But really, they're all set standards. Mm -hmm. Well, and milk is the same, or all dairy products are the same way as there. There is absolutely no chance of antibiotics being in your milk or, or dairy mm -hmm. products. And, and the main reason for that mm -hmm. is because some people are allergic to certain antibiotics. So it would be a very scary situation if we were to allow any antibiotic into milk and then we feed that milk to a child and you know they go mm -hmm. into anaphylactic shock and, and die from from drinking it so there's there's not antibiotics in our food sources in other countries that is different less developed countries that mm -hmm. might not be the case but here any food product you purchase is not going to have antibiotics in it and it's a it's a public safety issue so they take it very seriously and how in milk how is it um regulated or how is it antibiotics? Yeah, that's a good question. And we check every pickup. So a truck comes to pick up milk on a farm, usually every day or every other day. Um, and when they pick it up, the um, truck driver actually has a little test, a snap test, and they test it to see and it will tell you if there are antibiotics in that tank or if there aren't. And if it is what we call a hot tank, which means it has antibiotics in it, they have to dump that entire tank down the drain. It cannot go on the tank. There have been some instances <clears throat> excuse me, where there's a, a trace level of antibiotics mm -hmm. in a tank. So like maybe one cow out of 200 or something got in there with a little bit of antibiotics and it wasn't the test that the milk um, hauler has isn't strong enough to detect it. But when they get to the plant, then there's another test that's done and it can detect like minute traces of antibiotics in it. So if that happens, it's quite a disaster because they will detect mm -hmm. it at that point. And then not only is the farm who put the antibiotic milk in the tank um, 
going to dump their milk, but they also have to pay for any other farm's milk that went into that tank also. So it costs them a lot of money. So from a producer standpoint, they do not ever want to make a mistake of putting putting hot milk or antibiotic-laden milk in a tank. And I did that one time right. at, at UK, actually, when I was a student there. So sorry to everybody who I cost a lot of money to because <laughs> it was a total accident. But I lost sleep over it for like two weeks. I felt so horrible because it was, I think, like $2,000 or something that had to be dumped. Yeah, and we, we figured it out, right? Like I knew it. As soon as I hit the button to put that in there, I thought, oh, my gosh. That had what? that cow was treated, so we were lucky to catch it and could dump it at that point. But sometimes, you know, you're hiring people to to milk for you, and so accidents do happen. But they never mm-hmm. make it to the food that we're consuming as consumers. And as far as hormones in the milk, um, from my understanding, hormones are needed to produce milk in any species, right? So we have to have um, in humans, you have a rise of hormones of to lactate, and that's going to be the same in cows. So when it says hormone-free, that's not true for any milk, correct? That's correct. And I think that's the same for, you know, beef products and probably you can comment on poultry too. But, I mean, every mammal has hormones in their body. That's how they grow. That's how they function, right? So we can't right. actually rid anything of, of every hormone that's out there because they're not, like – visible things that we can take out and they're not harmful to us either. Um, there are some hormones that we can talk about after you comment on the, the poultry um, that we have administered to animals to mm-hmm. give them more of it, like RBST, um, but the naturally occurring hormones in in mammals that are producing milk or even that are just living <laughs> and, and growing, right. um, you we, we can't rid them of them. Um, and humans have them too. So like we talk about estrogen, and that's a, a big one mm-hmm. in beef for some reason. I don't know why people have, have latched onto that. Um, but mm-hmm. like a, a pregnant woman has many more times the amount of estrogen in them than than somebody who right. is um, eating a steak for dinner. Right. Yeah. And I think I'm not, I'm no horticulture specialist or um, any by any means, but I do believe that um, any of your plants, um, or lettuce or any of the vegetables you eat, they're going to um, contain some hormones as well. So mm-hmm. nothing is hormone-free. So that's a marketing strategy that um, has been used in animal agriculture, and, and it's essentially just used to get people to spend more for their products. So mm-hmm. um, I feel like that was important to kind of point out. Yeah, because I think horm- the word hormone is scary to people because I don't think people actually really grasp what – is a hormone, right? Because so many things are hormones that we don't think about. Like you were talking right. about cortisol earlier, right? There's a stress hormone that humans have also. And we're, we're constantly having hormones run through our, our veins, but we don't think about it unless you are pregnant, then you think about hormones. Or if you're menstruating, right? As a woman, we talk about hormones from that perspective, but not on an every day type of standpoint, but we do always have hormones running through us. Um, so I think it's a it's a lack of understanding of hormones being normal and natural. But the hormone right. that I mentioned yeah. earlier is RBST, is recombinant bovine somatotropin. Um, and that's one that we used to, as a dairy industry, um, inject our animals with to give them more of it. It 
is naturally occurring. Um, bovine somatotropin mm-hmm. is a, a, a normal hormone in cows, um, but we re, the recombinant portion is the lab made basically, so we're making more of it, and then we would inject them with it, and they were able to produce a lot more milk and become more feed efficient, so we could feed them the same amount basically, by, but they would produce more. And so it was really helpful to our industry by doing mm-hmm. that and not having to stress the environment by putting more cows on the farm, but producing more milk. Um, so there were a lot of positives and there was a lot of research out there that showed no negatives to the animals that received it and no negatives to the people drinking them. Um, and so it, it, it's one that consumers through marketing decided that they were against. And so now we don't do that anymore. Um, but it has caused the industry a lot of issues because we don't have that option anymore. Is there anything like that in poultry that has happened? Well, so that's kind of the next bullet point on organic USDA is they use, uh, there cannot be any GMO products used in organic production. And so um, a lot of our poultry production is moving towards non-GMO feed stuff. So that means that the corn they um, are using is organic, which means it's not genetically modified. Um, so, and genetically modified has gotten a bad connotation, kind of like, um, is it RBST? Is that? RBST. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so similar, and really genetically modified was used to um, kind of reduce the stress in the land. Um, we don't need to use as many herbicides or pesticides to produce that corn crop. Um, and most of the corn production in the United States goes towards animal feed. Um, and so we were able to get more crop per acre um, to feed the animals because at the end of the day, our population is growing and we need to feed more people. So if we can use what we have to feed uh, more animals, we can feed more people. But with this organic movement, non-GMO movement, um, we're kind of up against a wall. So um, that's some of the issues we're seeing as far as genetically modified in our industry. So why do you think people are scared of GMOs? I think it's due to that genetically modified component. Um, or most people, I think there was, I forget who did it, um, maybe Jay Leno. He did um, out on the street with people and asked if they knew what GMOs stood for. Or if GMOs were good, they asked it that first. Mm. And everyone said, no, they're bad. And then what does GMO mean? They couldn't give you the answer. Um, so... I think there's just been a really bad um, connotation around GMO. I don't think mm-hmm. people fully understand what it means. Um, and so, unfortunately, um, animal agriculture has suffered just because we haven't been able to educate people on what it means. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not even like if they really don't know about it, right? If there's a label on something that says non-GMO mm-hmm. or no added whatever you automatically assume that the opposite is not good like why would they be putting that on the label if that wasn't the superior choice exactly and again marketing at its finest Mm -hmm. so i think that's one of our as far as animal scientists and um, people in production that's one of our biggest components is that we're up against marketing and um, it, it is marketing doing a great job at getting people to pay more, but it's not necessarily true. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that the product without um, antibiotic-free on it means that it's not antibiotic-free, if that makes right. sense. So 
Um, like right. you said, all of our milk that goes into production, all of our eggs and our um, meat that goes into production has no traces of antibiotics in it, no added hormones to it. Um, so it's just something that we kind of want to make people aware of. Mm-hmm. Well, the non-GMO thing is is one that even in the last five or ten years has has blown up so so rapidly that I used to be able to go to the store and choose products that did not have that label on it. You know, the little butterfly that says non-GMO certified or whatever. And I would purposely buy things that do not say that because I am a proponent of GMOs. They do a lot of really great things for our environment, for our food supply, for our producers. But now when I go to the store, I can hardly even find anything that has it, like baby food, pears. There are no GMO yep. pears, but there's a non-GMO label on the baby food pears. But in salt, I've even seen it on salt. Like salt is not an organism. So how can it right. be genetically modified organism if it's not even an organism? So that type of stuff is just so misleading and so wrong that I don't actually yeah. know how it gets into marketing. Right. I mean, if we look at the list of foods that are actually genetically modified versus what's labeled or marketed as genetically modified, um, it's amazing because the majority of those things, like you said, cannot be genetically modified or be labeled as GMOs. So Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely a marketing strategy. And unfortunately, those of us who know the difference are still having to pay more. Mm Right, because it raises the food price as a whole, not even just for those products, because then the ones that are cheaper have to find a way to get that on there because people want to see it. Exactly. Are there are there any other um, marketing campaigns that you've seen that we haven't talked about? Um, I don't believe so, but I did want to. Have there been others that you were thinking about? Because I. That's the biggest one, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't think of any others. I'm sure there are probably more coming up the the way. We have, I guess, in the, the beef industry, we have grass-fed mm-hmm. versus conventional okay. or, or grain-fed. And I've seen, actually, on eggs now, um, someone in the grocery store yesterday in, in front of me had a carton of eggs that said um, cage-free grain fed which I don't I hadn't seen that label before because it's <laughs> ironic because on the beef side people don't want grain fed they want grass fed <laughs> so I noticed right. that um, but the grass fed is a big up and coming one I think and from a, a dairy side because it hints at the pasture raised um, perspective um, mm-hmm. but one thing I think that maybe we could talk about is that there aren't actually a lot of rules, if you will, or um, I guess people checking into things on labeling. Um, organic is more standardized, um, I think, than some of the the others that, and, and antibiotics, yeah. again, is one that definitely never is highly regulated, never happens. Um, but organic has rules to go along with it. Um, but there aren't a lot yeah. of people even checking up on those, right? Right. Yeah. So, Organic is, again, one of, unfortunately, it's becoming one of those um, labels that comes like GMO. Um, it's being put on, even if it can't be deemed as organic, if that makes sense. So there are cer- certain things that, and some producers are really good about getting that certification, um, but there are definitely some mislabeling going on as far as organic, as well as GMO or non-GMO. Mm-hmm. 
But if we if we look at antibiotics and we go back to antibiotics not being used, there's been a movement. I don't remember when the movement but put in, but it was the Veterinary Food Directive or the VSD. So in order for anybody to use antibiotics on farm, you have to have it prescribed by a vet. And that's something that it's come up in the past, what, five years? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and that's that's a big change from what producers were able to do before where they were able to, if they saw that an animal needed help, they were able to just help that animal through their experience, right? Producers are with their animals all the time. They know what needs to happen, um, but now they're not necessarily able to do that. Right. And so to me, that gets into an animal welfare um, point of view. If you have a sick animal and you can't if you are antibiotics, no antibiotics ever. So mm-hmm. now that's a big thing in poultry is no antibiotics ever. So if you are deemed that, then that animal either suffers and gets better on its own, or it's just you're unable to treat it, and so eventually it may not make it. Um, which, it which then, if it doesn't make it, it can't be used in food products at all. But that animal, um, the animal welfare does come into play, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you had a sick child, you'd want to treat your sick child. Yeah, and you so definitely. How many of those? Yeah, well, and it's kind of the the opposite with children, right, or humans, I guess, um, because we. I'm, I'm a mom, right? And when I go to the doctor and they say it's a virus, I'm not asking for antibiotics because I know that antibiotics isn't going to do something. But you like you want to physically do something for your child because right. you hate seeing them right. suffer. So even if it's giving them Tylenol or something, like it makes you feel better. But I've talked to mm-hmm. other human doctors, not the kind of doctors we are, <laughs> medical doctors, I guess. And they have told me like they have that's one of their biggest problems is that parents come in and say, you know, I need antibiotics. And they'll go to other doctors until somebody gives them an antibiotic, but they don't actually need an antibiotic, but then they won't buy any food that even remotely seems like they have antibiotics in them, which, again, they do not. But it's kind of ironic. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, I mean, that was the issue with people were, they were upset about antibiotic resistance, and really um, the biggest component of antibiotic resistance is us as humans, not Mm -hmm. what's coming in as our feed. So, or as our food sources. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely very ironic. Well, and I think we mentioned at the beginning of the, the episode that, you know, we're very lucky to live where we do and have safe and, food su- safe and abundant food supply. But I think um, we're very, I, I guess, privileged maybe or mm-hmm. really kind of, I'm trying to think of a negative, <laughs> negative version of that word is that, we we have a lot of first world problems to worry about here within agriculture. Yeah. And, you know, if you go to another country, if you that is less, you know, well established than we are, if you go to a third world country, they're just trying to survive. Right. Children and, and people are, are starving to death. Starving. Yeah. Right. And you think about that versus us saying, oh, we won't buy anything unless that animal was raised out on a pasture, right? It, it, it kind of is stuck up of us in some ways. Yeah. And, like, I think people should have the right to choose their food. They should be able to know where it comes from and make choices in the grocery store. But when I think mm-hmm. about things like GMOs, especially from a crop perspective, that if we right. have the ability to make a crop resistant to 
weeds that can destroy it or resistant to insects that can destroy a whole crop that's going to literally kill people because they will not mm-hmm. have anything to eat. I think it's really bad of us, for lack of a better right. word, right? Do you think about that right. ever? Yeah, because, I mean, in our world, we are always hearing about sustainability, sustainability, and that's kind of keeping our world um, in, the, in its best original condition so we can pass it on to um, later generations. And if we're letting our um, birds out on pasture, um, we're taking up acreage, right, acreage that can be used for um, feeding um, animals that actually can utilize it. So with the rumen, such as the cattle, the sheep, um, we're putting birds out on it. We're putting, we're acquiring more acreage per animal um, to, to live. We're creating more acreage um, for crops to survive. So are we really being sustainable by using um, non-GMO products, by using um, free-range, pasture-raised, um, especially when we are so technology-advanced, to use less space for more animals and they are still healthy and happy, um, I really question our sustainability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. But but like I said, it's great that we have those choices. So I struggle with where the, the line is, <laughs> you know, and I think edu- right. it's a very fine line. It is. But I think education, like you mentioned earlier, is one of those things that we are not good enough at because I think people legitimately sometimes don't know. They're trying to make the best choice and they're going by marketing because that's what they have to go off of. Just like when I go and buy an outfit, right? Like I don't know that much about the clothing industry. I know about a little bit about the cotton that makes it because that's an agricultural product. But I don't know, you know, if there are sweatshops or child labor going into making those clothes. I, I just buy what I feel like is marketed the best and what fits me. So I think that's going on in the food industry. And we I think as an industry really have not done our due diligence in, in educating people. Absolutely. And, it's, and like you said, it's not just agriculture, it's across the board. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to educate people. It is. <laughs> it is. It's, it's hard to do your job and raise a family and um, do that extra work on the end. So sometimes it is whatever is um, cheapest, what's most available, what's best marketed, like you said. So, um, yeah, we just have to get better at educating people. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that's what has happened in the past 30 minutes or so, and people can make a, a more educated decision, even if that is free range or um, cage-free. Mm-hmm. If that's what you so choose, that's great. Um, that's why we do what we do. But at least it's on a decision that you made because of what you know. Right, not just a scare tactic because you don't know the difference between them. So as you said, hopefully that did help them, help people listening. And, and if there are other questions, we can elaborate further, of course, because I think there is this is a big issue that people, sh- again, should be able to decide what they're putting on their table. And there are a lot of other factors that go into it, not just from a marketing standpoint, but from a producer standpoint, from a, you know, a, a nutrition standpoint. I had a nutritionist on here a, a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about you know, the difference between nut juice and and milk products and so there's a lot of a lot of confusion on that aspect too you know which is healthier is it healthier to have organic versus not and there's there's a lot of issues that go into it not just not just the marketing but the marketing is the root of them even existing I think so right that's what gets out to the general not the general public mm-hmm. um, 
is the marketing. So, um, yeah, like you said, if people have questions, um, you're a great resource. If, if, I mean, I know I don't know all the answers, um, but we at least know the people are find the answers um, exactly. between you and I. So For sure. And we will work together to answer the questions. <laughs> awesome. Well, I really appreciate having you on. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed my time. So make sure you like and subscribe and listen to the next episode. Ag Matters is produced and supported by the Mississippi State University Extension Service.